Uh, this morning, uh, we're starting a new series called Take Aim, and so no one wants this in my hands, that is certain. And, uh, you know, I know that I'm informed of this, not because I will be hunting any deer with a bow, but I have been informed that uh, today is the actually the start of a bow season for deer, and that means there are some people out um, right now today who have been taking aim. And at this moment at which I pull the bow back, everyone's very glad an arrow is not in the bow. Uh, we do not have the liability in our insurance for me to actually have an arrow in the bow. But, um, but the, the illustration is for us to understand that there's something that's happening when people go out and hunt that they're taking aim. If you don't take aim, you're not going to be super successful in the, the hunting endeavor. But, but it's critical that you take aim. And so some are taking aim at some deer this morning. And, uh, but what we're doing here is um, we're taking aim at what is it that, that sits at the center or the mark of uh, what God calls us to in discipleship. What is, um, what is it going to mean for us to not, not, not shoot at a, at a different target? Because some of us do that. Some of us are just taking shots at targets that that aren't going to change our life or some that are going to actually um, be a negative reality in our life or have consequences, what does it look like when we understand the targets that God wants us to hit of discipleship? What is the mark that shows that we've hit the center of God's heart for us? Over this past year, we've tried to be more clear with our church, and one of the things, actually four things that we believe are four marks of a disciple are right at the center, biblically and practically, of the life of someone who has clearly taken aim with their life and launching their life right at the center of God's heart for them. This entire series is going to be to walk through that, to clarify that, to get our hearts and our minds focused on that. The four marks of a disciple as we've laid them out are to draw near to Christ, to know the work of Christ, to become like Christ, and to live for Christ. And we're going to be in this series uh, through next June. And, um, and we're going to be taking aim at each one of these marks and and, and we're going to be correcting some places where we're just off target or shooting at the wrong targets. But my heart for you is that you would aim closer to the center of God's heart for you because I want you to live in everything that God promises, right? And I think you want that for the people that sit next to you and in front of you and behind you and anywhere in this church. So it's time to take aim. And so in this series, I'm going to I'm going to give a, a sort of a biblical theology for each mark, and we're going to see how those marks influence our lives and, and how our lives should change because of these, uh, to focus on these marks. And I'm not going to be going through a specific book of the Bible in, in the entire time or, or even like uh, an extended passage like I have uh, most recently in our last series, but there's going to be a primary passage we're going to be studying each week that's going to help us focus in so we can take aim. It's going to be a little bit of a different rhythm, but it's going to be important for us to know how to focus in. So the first part of this series, the first a section, obviously, of those four marks is draw near to Christ. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We've got to study this passage together uh, to, to help us start to take aim 
and what it means to draw near to Christ. Now, I'm going to focus in uh, most of the sort of application on a verse 6, but if you know anything about reading through Scripture, what I want you to know is that you need to read the context and not just take one verse and potentially take it out of context. So, um, first, the, the book of Hebrews, just to uh, catch anyone up who maybe isn't familiar um, with this book, is a book uh, in the New Testament written by an unknown author. But, but what's clear is that they're writing to a group of churches that are sort of dispersed all over the sort of ancient world. And um, it's specifically written, when you understand Hebrews, it's written to encourage Christians who are, are facing trials and suffering and persecution. And, and the way it encourages them is, is by rooting their faith in the supremacy of Christ, the superiority of Christ in all things. And so then in chapter 11, you have a chapter full of illustrations about faith coming alive in in men and women's lives. And so let's look starting in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Here we have a definition of faith. If you're like, what what is faith? Uh, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Look at verse 2. For by it the people of old received their commendation. And this wasn't just a reference to age. It was a reference to the people of old, the people who have come before us. They received their commendation, their approval before God because in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, the people were looking forward to Christ and their faith was proclaimed as making them righteous because they looked forward to Christ. For us, we look both back to what Christ has done and to the reality of what Christ wants to do in our lives right now. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Here it's just saying that faith in God comes because God has revealed himself to us. And it starts with the creation of the world, if you think about it. Only God could create a universe as complex as ours. And Genesis, the first book of the Bible, starts with God creating the heavens and the earth. And so, so faith starts here, verse 3 is pointing to, that the invisible God made what is seen in creation in all of its glory and complexity. Verse 4, we see the first person referred to. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, uh, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. This is the first uh, picture of sibling rivalry in the Bible. And uh, in Genesis, um, I actually preached on this passage in the summer of uh, 2022. And the main point here is that God's favor is found when your offering flows out of your faith. All of the offerings that you give to God flow out of faith, not just out of um, ritual or rules. Or out of a cold heart, but a heart that's warm towards God and wanting to offer something to the person of God. Now verse 5. 5 is very connected to 6 as we're going to see. So let's look at this one. It says, by faith Enoch. Okay, just stop right there. Um, uh, 
there is not a lot in the Bible about Enoch, okay? Has anyone read a book about Enoch, a Christian book, anyone? It's because there's not one, I don't think. I'm sure someone in some random class wrote a paper on Enoch or something, but um, you don't find a lot of books on Enoch, but what you do find is very significant. And it takes faith in a supernatural God to to believe Enoch's testimony. It's actually found in Genesis chapter 5. In chapter 5 verse 18, we find that Jared fathered Enoch. And Enoch had a child at age 65. And he would eventually live 365 years, okay? Can we just agree that's a long time? Even saying someone lived 365 years kind of makes me tired for them. Like, so so, so get this, if if Enoch was 360 years old, five years from, from dying, Enoch would have been alive more than 100 years before George Washington was born. He'd have been like, yep, I've lived through all of the presidents. You'd be like, Like, that's how long he lived. It's crazy. And the testimony of Enoch's life is found in Genesis chapter 5. Look at it on the screens. This is it. This is the testimony of Enoch. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years. So after, when he was 65, he walked with God for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. That's it. That's Enoch's entire testimony. He walked with God, and then he was not. As you note even here in verse 6, as we're going to look at in a second, he, he didn't die. He was just taken by God. Like, only two people in the Bible were just taken by God, Enoch and Elijah. Apparently, you have a chance if your name starts with E. And, and honestly, like, does anyone else kind of, I mean, I, I kind of wish I had that option. Just navigate through all the end of my life, just there's like a button I can push, boom, with God. But I know I would not want that button because I would like have a bad day and I'd hit it and my family would be like, really? Really? Come on now. But, but, but look, 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 at, look, at, look at the rest of verse 6. I mean, the rest of verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Like, I, I, I want more of that story. Like, was he just walking around with his family? He was like, where'd he go? Like, that, that's, that's sort of crazy to think about and awesome at the same time. Notice that, that he, before he was taken, he was commended at having pleased God. What did that encounter with God look like? Where he knew that he had pleased God. And then the writer of Hebrews, almost anticipating that the reader would have been like, what would have been like to have pleased God, enter verse six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And, and now we've got it. Now we've got this idea that before you get to faith, before you can even move to a place like Enoch where you walked with God, the first move that has to happen is that you draw near to God. See, you, you, you can't walk with someone if you don't draw near to them. 
Like, I took a walk with my wife. Wednesday morning, we got up early. We were taking a walk, and I took a walk with my wife. If I would have been walking a mile ahead of her, or even 100 yards ahead of her, or sometimes, you know, she's a little shorter than me. I, my, my legs are a little longer. I can get a little bit ahead of her. And then she's like, hey, what's going on? Like, let's, let's walk together. And, uh, and so if I'm ahead of someone, we might both be walking, but I'm not walking with them. You have to draw near before you walk with someone. Draw, drawing near is the first move. And that's why the big move from, as we look at this passage and think about it for our lives is that we walk in faith by consistently drawing near to God. Biblical faith starts by drawing near to God. It, it, is a, it is a required, regular rhythm of every disciple. And so let's just start this series asking the question that God is going to press onto your heart and confront you with every single message of this series. Are you drawing near to God? So if I was sitting with you and we were talking about that, a, a really honest, authentic question could be, how do I know? How do I know that I'm drawing near to God? Well, look in the passage. For whoever would draw near to God would begin to move towards the, the, the eventuality of what I'm thinking would actually happen. I'm drawing near to God. Must, must, important word, Believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. There it is. Two characteristics of what it looks like, what prepares us, what moves us to draw near to God. So let's examine our lives on this and let's take aim. First, draw near because you believe God exists. Draw near because you believe God exists. This, this idea of believe here, this word, we say this again and again, it, it's not just believe mentally, there's a nature of trust. Like you, don't, you, don't, you don't walk with someone that you don't trust. You walk away from someone you don't trust. In addition to taking walks with my wife occasionally in the morning, um, recently I've been getting up a little bit earlier, even before it's even light outside, and just taking walks, it just helps me get up, and, and I find that it's great to connect with God and just pray and just walk with God. And um, there have been times when I'm, I'm walking around the neighborhood that um, when a random guy is walking around the neighborhood, there's been a few times somebody's been getting into their car, and I just see them scurrying quickly to the car because me, the random guy, is walking through the neighborhood. And my wife was like, maybe you should wear this like little light that she wears with some friends when she goes and walks or runs. And I'm like, nah, that's okay. I'll just wear my hoodie up. She's like, <laughs> she said, well, you're going to continue to scare people because they're not going to be wanting you to draw near to them because they're not going to trust you because you're being creepy with your hoodie up. So I'm like, okay, I'll work the light. And um, so, so there's trust that's got to be involved to draw near. We know that. See, drawing near confirms that you believe that God exists. You're not drawing near, though, hear me in this, you're not drawing near to just anything. There's an object that this, this passage is talking about that you're drawing near to. It's God. And God is not an inanimate object or an idea. God has revealed himself to us as a person. The first and most important reality to understand about the nature of God, if you're going to draw near to him, is, is that God is a person. 
One article I, I read this week stated that throughout history, theologians have defined personhood this way. Personhood is an individual being with a mind, with emotions, and a will. A mind, emotions, and a will. And that's revealed in Scripture as Trinity. The nature of God it exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person fully God, but unified in perfect community. And the Bible represents this personhood of God in a variety of ways, but one of the ways that I love is when the Bible uses the reference of the face of God. How many have, have read that in Scripture or heard that in a song? When it talks about uh, the face of God, that, and, and, and what I love about the face of God is that reference to personhood, it, it, is, it is so deeply encouraging because it, you're, uh, the face of a person is what defines the distinctiveness of the person, right? There's a lot of bald heads you could walk up to and from behind in our church and be like, I think that could be a lot of different people. But you're going to have to move around and see the face and you recognize the face. If you walk up behind someone who you think is someone that you love or someone in your family, and you see that it's a face of someone you don't know, you're like, whoa. But if it's, if it's your family, you're like, yes. Completely different response. And the face of God is a reference in Scripture. And Scripture actually calls you to seek the face of God. Psalm 24, 6, such is the generation of those who seek him. Not enough, psalmist continues, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. You see what it's communicating there is that I'm not just seeking an idea or representation of a face. I'm seeking the very face of God. In, in two other psalms, uh, the psalmist prays for God's face to shine upon his people. Like, the Bible also teaches that, that, that those who reject God, God hides his face from them. Or sets his face against them. No one wants that face of God. When you believe God exists, you draw near to a person, not a set of beliefs. And listen, listen, listen. I don't think in my faith and in other people's faith, more, uh, there, there has not been a lot of ideas or realities or truths that has more defined a, a person's a relationship to God more than understanding that there's a difference between drawing near to religion or ideas or even the specifics of Christianity, the difference between drawing near to that and drawing near to a relationship with God where you're seeking God's face. And so I want you just to kind of uh, get, a, get a picture of this this morning, um, and I want to illustrate it like this. This represents different things that you can learn about God. Uh, one of them is the Bible, the, the highest authority, um, inerrant, and, 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 and is, is, is perfect in, in sort of revealing the nature of God to us. It's the foundation of everything we believe in our church. And, um, but then I also have up here something that could be really helpful and has been helpful to me is a systematic theology book. 
Don't be too impressed. I've only read portions of it. And, um, and so this is a really helpful book by someone who studies, studied God's word and is trying to help us sort of collect some truths about scripture so we can learn some things about the character and nature and works of God. And so these, these, are, these are books and, and they, have, they, have, they have pages and they have words on them. The, the purpose is not when it comes dr- to draw near to God. Drawing near to God does not mean that I draw near to books or even the truth represented by the books. This is not the end of drawing near. But oftentimes, and in our lives and in the church sometimes, we tend to lift these realities, these ideas, up in such a way that they become the end. And so what happens in our minds is, is, is that we, we know they're true and we, we care about that, but you can't have relationship with information. Like, if, if you were like, like, like this, and you were, you were walking, and somebody was like, what are you doing? And you're like, I'm walking with God. No, 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 you're not. You're, you're walking with a Bible and a systematic theology book, and you're sort of showing off because they're big. And so, and so but, you, but you're, not, you're not walking with God. You, you, there, there's nothing about the reality of this that means that I'm drawing near to God, which also means that if I open this and just read the words on the page, that doesn't mean that I'm walking with God. If I memorize the whole entire thing and can recite it to you, does not mean I'm walking with God. Here is the move that changes everything. If you were to imagine over here um, personhood of God, you know what's really helpful in what God's given us and what God's taught us in his word is he's taught us that people are created in the image of God. So personhood of, of your personhood, your mind and your emotions and will, they're a reflection of God. Imperfect, God perfect. Even more than that, we know that personhood can create a longing even in a knowledge of, of intimate relationships with people. I see my son in the front row and I have a different relationship with him. That person is different than other people in the crowd. And so if now, if, if, you, if you think about a personhood with someone who has been your creator and, and is your father, now you start to understand that the right approach to God is not to consider that there's information over here and that's what it means to draw near to God. But I draw near to God by utilizing what God has given us to be a lead into drawing near to God. See, now I I look at this and I read this and this is the move that so many people don't make, but it is the move of biblical faith. It's that I read this now and I read something about God and I now move from here to the person of God. I'm partaking of the face of God. I'm having an engagement with him. I'm walking with him. Out of what I learn, it changes and shapes and matures my relationship with him. And this God I talk to and I interact with and I relate with. And then if I read books that talk about the scriptures in different ways and I can flip open to this chapter that talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. I could learn a lot of things about the Holy Spirit and I could teach them to you. But, but it's a game changer. If I read about the work of the Holy Spirit 
And then I realize that these words are a guide. They're a sign. They're pointing to the person of God. And that this move from here to here is a move of faith. Now I'm drawing near. Now I'm partaking of the glory of God. Now I'm interacting with my Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, and with the Holy Spirit. And now I'm having a relationship. These words are a guide to drawing near to God. They they, they give us a picture of God, but the move of faith is a move where I'm moving from the words to the person. So critical. And and that's why the, the summary of all of this, if you could just hear me in this, is Church, it's, it's, it's intimacy, not information. It's knowing, not knowledge. It's relationship, not religion. That's what we mean when we say draw near to God. We're going we're gonna to launch the train and studies this week, and I'm so thrilled by, the, by just the number of people that have signed up for those studies and we're excited for what God's going to do in that. And I want you to know that, that the common purpose in each one of those studies is to lead people to draw near to God. Okay, you're going to start to see a theme. It's going to be reemphasized again and again and again. Last week, Dylan and Colin and I, please pray for us as we, as we lead these studies this week because this is where we're going to kind of dig really deep down and it's almost like a workshop of trying to help people understand what this really looks like in their life in a variety of very specific ways in the context of community. And we were talking about it and like Dylan's study is on knowing the word and it's not to teach you more information about the word. It's to teach you how the word of God leads to the person of God. Colin's going to be teaching on the nature of God's word and the the character of God. Why? So you can know more information about God? What good is that to you? But you know what is really good for your soul? If you become so enamored with the character of God that you're like, I want to draw near to that God. The goal of my study is to sort of encourage uh, uh, holy rhythms or, or what we commonly have talked about in the church as spiritual disciplines. And that's not, I'm not teaching that study. I'm not leading us through that so that we can check off the right boxes and be like, sweet, I've arrived as a disciple. A, in discipleship, because I checked off the boxes. No, it's to lead you to places where God says in his word that he will extend his grace to you, where he will meet you, reveal himself to you, do a work in your life. And and so it's a clear emphasis for all of us and all the studies coming at any point in the future is not to build religion, but to lead you to relationship. And the encouragement is to draw near to God and not just in studies and not just in worship services and not just when reading the Bible And not just in prayer, but in every moment of your life. Like Enoch, start drawing near to God because God exists, but be compelled by the person of God. Draw near because you believe God exists. Walk in faith by consistently drawing near to God. Second characteristic, draw near because God promises a reward. God's word says that... Right there, look at it again in verse 6. Must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
If you draw near to God, you must believe that he rewards those who seek him. A church, I just want to help you understand, that is a promise. That's a promise. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So there needs to be in the nature of faith in a believer who's drawing near a firm confidence and assurance that God rewards those who seek him. So you might, you might ask, like, is, is Brian overplaying that verse a bit? Like, that's a question I asked because I, I had to do some research because I needed more evidence. Look at this with me. John 4, 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. There's reward for faith. Matthew 5, 11 and 12, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 1 Corinthians three fourteen. if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. 2 John verse 8, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. So I don't know how you're wired, but when I, when I hear something like this in, in, in Hebrews 11, and I see the evidence of this in other places in Scripture, there's a lot of other places I could have gone to talk about blessing and all sorts of other categories of the way God describes rewards. There's, there's a part in me that, that, that what has drawn me to certain pastors and believers and thinkers throughout the history of Christianity is this. They seem to have this, this, this place in their heart and their life where they're like, I have experienced a reward that God offers and I am going to press forward by faith to get all of it. And I'm going to tell anyone around me to be like, let's chase that because God guarantees it. Like, I don't know about you, but, but like I'm the guy, confession in church, I'm the guy who gets to the end of the toothpaste tube and then cuts open the tube to make sure I get every bit out of that tube. Anyone with me? Some of you are like, you're crazy. And some of you are like, I don't want to admit it, but I'm just like you. But listen, way more important than getting what I paid for from the toothpaste tube. I want every bit of reward that God freely gives and offers me in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anyone with me? Amen. And I desperately want each of you to receive every bit of the reward. It's a right and good, hear me, write this down. It is a right and good motivation for drawing near to God. Here's the problem that I had to address to walk in this direction. This truth, this promise gets misunderstood and misapplied all the time. And if misapplied, it leads to and can lead to deep discouragement, disappointment, and disillusionment with God. So, let me help you, um, because in Scripture, what you see is, is there are two categories of reward that I want to make sure are crystal clear in your mind. 
There are two categories of reward. There is guaranteed and possible. Let's just walk through it together. Let's make sure we understand this. Okay, on the guaranteed column, if you put your faith in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, salvation, guaranteed. That's pretty awesome. The list could stop there and I'd be good. Anyone with me? Like, I'm good at this point. Uh, Then eternal life, a product of salvation, is that I get to live with God forever because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I mean, for sure after the first two, I'm good, right? It extends future inheritance. What? I can't even fathom what that would be if God's the giver of that. Forgiveness? Guaranteed in Christ. Love? Love. God had love for you before you ever even put your faith in Christ. Relationship with God, guaranteed for those who are in Christ. A purpose, guaranteed. Now, these last two, we don't love. But God has a purpose in them, and they're guaranteed. Discipline, God says he disciplines those whom he loved. And then watch, what what does it say there? In that verse in Hebrews, it says that he disciplines those he loves, and those who have been trained by it, trained by the discipline, submitting quickly to discipline. Why? Because it produces a harvest, a reward of righteousness. And then trials. God uses trials. We don't love them, but he uses them. There's so many other examples I could give. And so these are guaranteed, then possible. Possible. I use best friends just because I see this a lot. People come into the context of, of a relationship with God and with the church, and they're like, well, here's what I need. I just need a best friend. And we start to get in relational categories here. And they're possible but not guaranteed. A spouse. Possible but not guaranteed. I know it gets a lot more sensitive when I get to some of these other ones. Children. Possible and not guaranteed. Healing. There's some people in our uh, church that even within the last week have have received a um, a terminal diagnosis. And um, man, that just breaks your heart Um, for the spouse, for the children. And um, it's possible that the one who created us can heal, but it's not guaranteed. Wealth, sufficient for all the things that you want and dream and desire to have, um, possible, not guaranteed. Success, possible, not guaranteed. Influence, same thing. Salvation of others, people that you love and care for, that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ and that they would, they would, they would walk with God. Um, possible, certainly, free gift of salvation through what Jesus Christ accomplished, not guaranteed. Problems arise here, church, when possible reward is expected or demanded after you draw near to God. People do this all the time with God in his church. And, and here's, here's the kind of the crazy picture that you have to get your head wrapped around to understand this. They proclaim over here all of the guaranteed rewards of God that you see on the screen. They proclaim them. They, they, they love them. They talk about them. They, they, they revel in the reality of those. But then become 
bitter and angry when they don't get the possible reward. After considering all the good that God has done in the guaranteed column, you and I have no justification for condemning God because you didn't get a specific reward from the possible column. There's a tremendous amount of mental gymnastics that can move you to the point where you can be so ungrateful to have all of what is guaranteed and then condemn God because you did not get one of the things that was possible. But I also understand that the reality of the human element is that there are times when there are things that our heart really longs for in the possible column that we have to navigate through trust and faith and drawing near to God to go to get to a place where God, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand how I can remain in these things that are guaranteed, but still my heart is breaking for the things that are possible that I have not been given. And there's a struggle in the will of God there. And if you didn't get something from the possible column, we have enough in the guaranteed column to know without question, evidence upon evidence, that God is still good. He's still good. And it may not feel that way. And the circumstances and the situation of what's being withheld from the possible column could, could, could be incredibly painful, and we should have compassion for that in the church. But it would not be good for you if you condemn God. There's no justification for this move. See, we can't confuse what is guaranteed with what is possible. That's why the prosperity gospel is so dangerous. Is that it confuses the two. And then they put in front of people the shining example of God's blessing And look, if you follow God like I follow God, you can have this level of health and wealth and they proclaim this gospel that when you don't get the the sort of possible reward, then the problem is not with God. Now they take aim at your faith and that is is shipwrecking people's faith around the world with this prosperity gospel. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. Stand in what is guaranteed. Stand in it. Stand firm in the grace of God, in the love of God, in the forgiveness of God. It is enough. It is enough. It's always enough. Like just in, in the reality of what I've represented, again, with words that have definition and, and, and oftentimes are, are sort of boxes that we can put God in. But here's the beautiful part about God's character. God is incomprehensible. In every one of those realities and those rewards, you could press into it. And there is an infinite amount of delight and joy that you could find in any one of those guaranteed rewards to sustain the joy of your life. So stand in the guaranteed reward received by drawing near to God. Just finding Him in that is enough. But what do you do with the possible Let me also encourage this church to stand in what is guaranteed but ask for what is possible. 
ask and ask and plead with your God for what is possible while standing rooted in what is guaranteed. And when you stand rooted in what is guaranteed, it gives you, watch this, the ability to endure in the asking. And sometimes in the asking, God is doing something awesome for your good. It may be the answering of that, the bringing of that into your life, or it may be a faith journey where God is is forming your heart for something you can't even see right now. And even if, and, and, and if God, it, you need to stand in the promised and guaranteed reward to endure when the possible is not coming or not coming yet. And even if God gives the possible reward, you still need to make sure that the foundation of your faith is in the guaranteed rewards of God. And this will be a key, notice this, this understanding of rewards and how they play out will be a key to you having consistency in drawing near to God. Because if we get guaranteed confused with possible, we'll find our hearts embittered towards God when something happens in our circumstances that we didn't anticipate or didn't believe was right or good. And now we start to wrongly interpret God and now he's not safe and now I don't trust him and now I don't draw near. And if I don't draw near, I don't walk with God. Draw near because God promises a reward. Draw near because you believe God exists. Walk in faith by consistently drawing near to God. So what I want to do for just a few moments right now is just want to give you a chance just to pray and seek God on these things. Some of you might need in this moment to literally ask God, God, I have been at this place where I have seen the information about you and I know some key things about you that I even believe to be true, but I have not yet moved to a place of biblical faith where I'm drawing near to you. Some of you might need to make a decision right now to put your faith in God and draw near to God, not beliefs about him, not a church that believes in him, but actually draw near to God for the first time. Put your faith in Christ this morning. Just come to him. He receives you. Some of you need to confess that that you have, maybe the, the, the clarity around the face of God, you just want to move more quickly from the word to the person of God. Some of you might need to be honest right now and just confess, God, um, I've confused possible with guaranteed. And my heart has been so set on the possible and so desiring the possible that I have lost my, my, my security and I need to move back to what is guaranteed and stand firm there. You might need to confess your discouragement and your disappointment and your disillusionment. Ask God to reassure your heart with what is guaranteed and continue to ask with great fervor for what is possible. So let's take a few moments right now and just pray right where you're at. Just begin to pray. However the Spirit of God would lead you. He's present here. Draw near to Him. Let's do it now.
God, I ask you in this moment for these people and for my own heart also that you would lead us to draw near to you. God, that we would see you as the person that you are revealed to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and that our lives would move from truths about you to embracing you. Regularly and consistently in our lives to align our lives with who you are and and to be like Enoch, uh, men and women who walk with God. God, I, I, I pray that we would understand your character and and that, and that God, I, I look out in this room and I see people who I know are standing, crying out for a possible reward and I just want to say to them and I want you to speak into their hearts, God, through the power of your spirit and encourage them deeply, implore them to stand firm in what is guaranteed and let joy fall on their hearts and I pray that in their own life and in the lives of the people around them, standing firm in the guaranteed rewards of God that we would assault the throne of grace with our desire and prayers that what is possible would be true. But God, let us not be moved in the giving or the withholding of that. That there would be a confidence in you and a delight in you. Root us, God, in these times in what it means to draw near. Help us to walk in faith by consistently drawing near to God to you in every way and I'm just praying God that you would continue to lead us and direct us. We thank you for this time. Thank you for what you have in front of us beyond this message God. I'm excited for this for my own heart and for these people and I just pray that you'd help us to worship you and glorify you in all these things and to hear you. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well with whatever possible